And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome. It's Technically Speaking Tuesday edition of the radio show. Good morning. And as we get ready to wrap up June, hard to believe, we're ready for uh, 4th of July right around the corner. I mean, fireworks stands up everywhere. Just wait to light a few pastures on fire. I mean, it's, you know... <laughs> it's for people with money to burn. <laughs> exactly. So, a couple of things to get into yesterday. I uh, thought it was interesting. You know, Friday, the, the headlines, Dow plunges 500 points as Fed signals taper. Uh, Monday, the second coming, right? Dow surges most since March up 500 points, right? So media just sensationalizes a lot of this. Look, as we've been talking about over the last couple of days, um, you know, we're working our way through our sell signal here pretty quickly. And again, as always, what these signals can often tell you is it's simply that, you know, you're going to be in a consolidation period. You may have a correction. And, you know, we have been discussing the fact that we've been very long now without a 5% correction. And, you know, that is still very much, you know, on the table here at some point. Again, doesn't mean it's going to happen right now. Um, but again, what this signal tells you in particular is that we're still kind of in this consolidation phase. Now, yesterday, the market did rally back above the 50 day moving average. That was good, right? That uh, removed one level of resistance, but failed right at the 20 day moving average. So didn't get above that. Uh, so a little bit of resistance right there today. We'll see how markets do as they kind of come out of the gate this morning, looking to open up just a little bit this morning. Uh, again, kind of a lot of the rotation trade. Uh, we saw on Friday a lot of money coming out of the reflation trade going into the growth shares. Uh, yesterday, we saw just the opposite. So again, Friday was quadruple witching. So there was a lot of volatility in the markets. Yesterday, markets, the things that had gotten sold off for options expiration got bought back yesterday. So we saw a lot of real rapid rotation. Uh, within the markets yesterday. Um, key though yesterday, despite the fact that the market had a very nice little update yesterday, volume and money flows were still very negative. So again, you know, while we continue to kind of watch what's going on here, not only are we, are we on this sell signal currently, but we continue to have distribution um, within the markets. That's all that tells you is that really there were a lot more sellers yesterday than there were buyers, even though prices were higher. So as, as buyers were willing to buy up, uh, sellers were there to meet them the whole way yesterday. So it doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence that this rally is going to stick here. But again, um, you know, markets are working through this sell signal pretty quickly. The MACD remains on its sell signal as well, but starting to flatten out here. So uh, again, doesn't mean necessarily, and we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, doesn't necessarily mean the markets are just going to completely fall apart here. But uh, upside remains fairly limited at this point, you know, particularly while we have very weak kind of participation in markets. So, again, all that suggests is that simply you just shouldn't get overly exposed to equity, shouldn't take on a, a tremendous amount of risk. We're carrying a little bit more cash than usual in our portfolios, but not a tremendous amount. I mean, primarily our long core equity positions are all in place. We're a little bit underweight in our fixed income holdings, uh, holding a little bit shorter duration in our bond portfolio as well, just to simply hedge risk. 
currently. That's, you know, that's the whole name of the game as we get through summer here. Now, what about that 5% correction we were writing about? Well, that's the other question, right? Um, you know, we said that when we got this sell signal in place that that would likely set us up for a 5% correction. And again, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We did about 2% between the top and the bottom here uh, over the last uh, week. But, you know, nothing here suggests that we're going to have a major correction. A 5% pullback well within the norms of any type of market corrective activity, you know, in any year in history. And we've had a very long period since last August, September that we've had a 5% correction. Again, we're in the middle of summer, so we're certainly not out of the woods yet for that 5% correction, but doesn't mean it has to happen now. Could be in July, could be in August, could be in September. Um, again, we'll go through a couple more of these buy-sell signals by the time we get to the end of summer. So plenty of opportunity out there still to have that 5% correction. And again, as we get closer to August, September, that's where potentially we're gonna start seeing the Fed talk a little bit more about potentially tightening monetary policy. That may be the trigger for a bit of a correction. Now, speaking of Jerome Powell, he's going to be up talking to Congress again today, suggesting yesterday, hey, inflation's not a problem. It's transient. Yes, inflation is up. It's all transient inflation. I agree with him. If you take a look at what's going to happen with CPI here over the next couple of quarters, we're going to see that inflation roll off begin to curve because that base effect of what we saw during the economic shutdown is going to pass us by and we're going to start to see lower year over year comparison rates. So that inflationary pressure is going to come back in as well as economic growth unfortunately now this is going to be a bit of a headwind for the market going uh, forward over the next couple of quarters because earnings are going to have to start to ratchet back in here on expectations of slower growth and lower rates of inflation estimates for stocks are very elevated here extremely elevated those already started to show a little bit of contraction here over the last couple of weeks with estimates. We're starting to see those contract in a bit more as we kind of get back to a more normalized growth rate in the economy. So again, there's plenty of opportunity here, plenty of headwinds for markets. And in fact, we may potentially now it's, it's way too early to tell this, but we may potentially have seen the top of the market for this year or very close to it. Um, again, might get a little bit more upside here, but with valuations very stretched with kind of peak earnings and peak economic growth, uh, really kind of in the books, so to speak, as of the end of second quarter, as we get into third and fourth quarter, earnings are gonna start to contract here a bit. That's gonna make valuations a bit more problematic. And if the Fed begins to contract or at least talk about tapering their monetary policy, that's certainly gonna put some downward pressure um, on prices and at least keep them from rising much. So we may have seen pretty much the peak of the market for this year. Again, not a bad year. If the, if the market ends today, right where it is, we're up you know, 10, 12% for the year, that's not a bad return for any year. So nothing wrong with that, right? Um, we've just all gotten a little bit greedy. <laughs> you know, speaking of greed, I've got an article I'm writing right now, Magnify Money. Um, great little uh, website resource. They do some great little research pieces and surveys. Just took out a survey um, of Gen Z. Now this is, so you have baby boomers, millennials, and then Gen Z. This is the up and coming investor group. They are now taking out loans, both they are not taking out just margin debt, but they're also taking out personal loans to invest in the markets. This isn't a new thing. Uh, back in 1999, they were doing exactly the same thing. In fact, I can't tell you how many individuals I counseled in 1999-2000 had taken out a lot of credit card debt, home equity loans, home equity lines of credit, those type of things to invest in the markets, lost it all, um, and then were saddled with the debt. And again, the one thing that uh, credit card companies don't forgive you for is debt that you took out to buy stocks with. So, so again, 
pay attention to you know kind of the action in the markets. A lot of this suggests a real speculative nature and environment that we're in currently that typically tends to not work out well. Just very quick here before we get to the break, because I do have a lot of stuff to get into this morning. Uh, keep a watch with what's happening in particular um, with the interest rate environment, because that's the one thing that really is kind of going to be driving the Fed here a bit. We've had a nice um, uptick in bond prices, yields coming down here a bit. You know, this is one thing here that continues to suggest the fact that inflation is likely transient. In inflation and interest rates have a very long correlation with each other. And again, our interest rates peaked earlier this year and have been grinding their way slower here. Now, interest rates right now look to try to move up here over the next week or so, maybe two weeks. Might see interest rates back up here in this 1.5 to 1.6% range, but we've likely seen the peak for interest rates this year, particularly as year-over-year -year comparisons start to slow down on inflation. So again, one of your key triggers here, I'm writing an article on this, one of the things you want to watch are yield curve inversions. That tells you about when markets are going to start to have problems going forward. And I've got an article coming out on that to tell you how to time it as well. All right, all that's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, you find all of our articles there. And we come back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about markets and your money. Take your questions here at the top of the hour as well. So if you have a question, join our YouTube channel, type your question in, we'll answer it at the end of the show. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestment.com investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care july 8th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show the show this morning so on our website uh this morning at realinvestmentadvice.com we have our technically speaking post out and it's talking about the commitment of traders report i'm not going to get into this a whole bunch because it's a little bit um <laughs> it's a little bit heady <laughs> off in the weeds but, well you know it's just you know you hear a lot about options trading right mm -hmm. i mean this is you know been a lot of the you know, topics du jour as of late has been all the young Gen Zers, you know, kind of getting online. As I was just talking about Magnify Money just came out with a survey showing that, you know, young Gen Z investors are jumping on the bandwagon to trade options. In fact, we've got a lot of options trading going on in the markets right now, very speculative, and they're doing it on debt, right? They're taking out personal loans, taking out credit card debt, et cetera, uh, to invest in the stock market. Well, why not? It's easy money, right? I mean, so what? I pay 21% interest on my credit card. I'm making twice. I'm making that every day trading options, right? So I just buy AMC, whatever. I make money. And and look, it works well till it doesn't. And and again, you know, this is something that, you know, I witnessed firsthand, you know, back in 1999. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, people are, oh, well, this time's different, right? That's what we said back in 1999. This time was different. It was the internet, right? 
all the old people were around back then. I wasn't old back then. I was a I was I was a youngster back then, and uh, you know all the all the old boomers weren't Buffett, right? They're out there going, oh, this internet thing—it's a fad, and and we were all like, oh, no, it's not. This is this is going to change the world. This is this is the new thing, right? Um, and it was. It, it did. It, it changed the world. I'm not sure it changed the world for the better, but it did change the world. <laughs> um, you know, social media was supposed to bring everybody together and create you know this unity among everybody because we could all share ideas and discuss and debate and be all nice to each other and have these great commentaries and, you know, social media was going to change the world. It did. Just not for the better. Um, people are a funny creature. Uh, we tend to do things over and over and over again. We repeat the same mistakes over and over again. We fail to learn from those mistakes, unfortunately. And again, we're doing a lot of the same things. And, and, and again, you know, everybody, what's always interesting is, is everybody thinks that, this time is the first time that anybody's done this. You know, I, I, I deal with this with my kids all the time. You know, my kids do something and, you know, I'm like, I've done that before and I'm going to tell you how this is going to work out. And they're like, oh, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Of course, it turns out exactly the way I tell them it's going to turn out. And then they're like, OK, well, I should listen. Right. You know, experience is a great teacher. Back in 1999, people were trading tech stocks thinking that, uh, you know, that this was the whole new paradigm. You know, it's just, and it's not. Speculative greed always ends the same way. We, you know, what bull markets do very effectively is cover up all your investment mistakes. You know, you buy something that you shouldn't be buying and it goes up in price. So just because you get away with it, doesn't necessarily mean that you are a smart investor. It just means you got away with something. And what bear markets reveal when they occur is all those mistakes that you've made. And they tend to reveal them in the most brutal fashions. But the bull market can go on for a whole lot longer than you think, and just like this one has, right? I mean, we've got all kinds of speculative excess going on, record margin debt. I mean, you name it. And, you know, the market's hanging in there because of psychology and, and the belief that this time is different. And that's the way it always is. Now, some event comes along that'll change that. And like I said, I'm writing an article um, right now. It'll be out here in a week or so. But looking at the three triggers of a bear market and what causes kind of bear markets to happen and also how to time them from when these events occur. Now, these events will occur. Now, it's not it's not this isn't one of those things where it says if this occurs. Then this will happen. These events will occur. And they always do. They, they happen on a consistent basis throughout history. So when these events occur, and not all three of them, it could be any one of the three, it starts the clock for the next recession bear market. Now, right now, you're all going, what events? You're going to have to wait for the article. <laughs> That's why you subscribe to the website. I'll get to them, but we'll get you. 
so this, but this is the point, right? So this is this is the point. And you know, it's interesting. There was a, there's an old joke that is interesting because it actually has to do with with you know kind of Wall Street, you know. And so so you know, this guy dies and he goes to heaven, right? And uh, he gets to the pearly gates and and. The guy saying that he's an investor, right? He's he's speculates in the market. He did very well for himself, and uh, you know, gets to heaven and and God says, "Well, look, you have a, a choice. You can either come into heaven, or you can go to hell. And you can check it out, see what you think, and then you can make your decision tomorrow." So he says, "Okay, well, let me see heaven." So he goes into heaven, right? And it's beautiful. There's angels singing, choirs, you know, everywhere. It's beautiful. It's tranquil. It's wonderful. Right, it's exactly what you expect heaven to be. So it goes down to hell, and so gets to hell. The elevator door opens, and it's this jamming party. I mean, there's you know sexy topless women everywhere. Alcohol's flowing all night long. I mean, you name it, it's going on in hell, right? And it's just a jamming party, and he parties all night long. So he gets back up to heaven the next day, and. God says, well, what do you want to do? And he says, do you want to come to heaven or go back to this? He says, I tell you, it's just, heaven's awesome. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Can't imagine why anybody want to live here, but I'll tell you what, hell's jamming. I want, to, I want to go back down there again. So Lord says, okay, and elevator door opens up. He goes down. As soon as the elevator's door open in hell, two demons drag him. They grab him into the room, start whipping him, right? Just terrible, painful, horrible. And about this time, the devil comes walking by and he says, wait a minute, last night it was here. It was this jamming party. It was awesome. Devil says, yeah, last night you were a prospect. Today you're a client. <laughs> so it's kind of that same idea, right? That in the markets, we have this idea where everything is good. It's this jamming party and it's all great all night long. And then reality hits. And unfortunately for people that have taken on way too much risk and way too much you know, uh, leverage, the consequences are extremely hellish at some point. And I, and, I, and I tell you this from experience because I can't tell you how many people I counseled in 2001 and 2002, not about how to invest. Now, this is when Brent and I were first working together back in the day, right? And they actually had, you know, entire radio stations that, that ran shows. <laughs> uh, they weren't all automated. There were actually people there. <laughs> Back in the early 21st century. Exactly. Um, but I can't tell you how many people I counseled, not about how to invest, but how to get out of debt. I was more of a debt counselor back in 1999 and, and 2000, 2001 than I was, you know, an investment counselor. But this is the cycle that we're into. And again, you're kind of seeing these exact same things. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and, and I feel like my dad, right? My dad used to always just shake his head. i I'd tell my dad, hey, I'm going to go do this. And he's like, don't do that. You're going to get hurt. And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. And he just shake his head. I've, I feel that way. I'm like, just, you know, I, I read these surveys and I'm just shaking my head going, man, this is going to end bad at some point. But, you know, the problem is, is if it doesn't end here, here's the problem, though. The problem is if I say, hey, this is going to end badly. And if it doesn't end badly tomorrow, everybody says, well, he was wrong. Right. This is going to end badly. It can just last a lot longer than you think it can. And, you know, one thing that bull markets are extremely good at 
is sucking in the most people possible to damage them. And bull markets do that very well. And, you know, that's the thing that, and, you know, this is, you know, the thing about a bull markets, bull markets are these very long, extended trends of stock prices. Bear markets are these vicious bouts, these vicious attacks on capital. They don't last long, but they're brutal. And devastating. And, and that's what makes bear markets so bad is because you can't get you, re, you really can't get away from them very easily. You know, by the time that they start and really get rolling, that they become problematic very quickly. You know, the, the problem is you have a correction that starts and the media will tell you, oh, it's just a correction. It's a buy-the-dip opportunity, and then it keeps going. Well, okay, well, this is a little bit more of a correction, but it's still a buy-the-dip opportunity. And by the time that the media tells you, it's like, okay, um, this is a lot more than just a correction, it's too late to do anything about it. Because these things are going to move so swiftly. As we saw back in March of 2020, that was just a taste of what a bear market's gonna actually be like. But the, the important thing about what March taught us was the illiquidity of the markets and how fast these reversions can and will occur. And this is gonna be kind of the new set for the future. Bear markets aren't gonna last 18, 24 months like they used to. The next 40, 50, 60% of capital loss is going to occur in the matter of two months, three months, and it'll be over. But the devastation will be absolutely astonishing. Be right back after the break. So what is it that the markets are really hanging on to right now? And why is that potentially changing? We'll talk about that when we come back from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. It is uh, 6.33 as we kind of get uh, this Technically Speaking Tuesday show underway. So a couple of things here. Um, what are the markets looking for? You know, 
in order to sustain the bull market rally, right? So this, this, a lot of this recovery from the March lows of last year began on just you know pure speculation, and then became the recovery story. And of course, we've seen surging ISM prices, and we've seen surging manufacturing reports as the economy goes through this kind of re- recovery process. And a lot of those indicators are now at record highs. Now, there's an important thing to understand about record highs. Record highs are records for a reason. And that's because that's where a previous peak was, not the beginning of the next cycle, right? So when you get to record highs, that normally says, hey, that's where something previously peaked. That was a previous record. And that typically denotes where you have maximized your recovery in any type of economic indicator whatever it is, particularly things that are measured either on sentiment or on year-over-year basis, those type of things. And particularly when it comes to sentiment, I mean, there's only you can only get so happy, right? Um, once you get as happy as you can get, then you're, you're pretty much have reached that peak. So when you take a look at a lot of the manufacturing indexes, et cetera, they have certainly reached peaks. You know, we're seeing a lot of the same things also with earnings, earnings expectations, um, you know, economic growth rates, inflation. All of these are beginning to kind, kind of coincide that they're all going to peak beginning this quarter. And once we move into Q3, Q4, that's going to start to reverse and we're going to start to see lower rates on a comparison basis. And that's going to put pressure potentially on expectations for growth and then ultimately bring in the valuation problem as earnings growth begins to slow, right? So prices keep going up and if earnings prices are slowing, valuations are going to remain a problem going forward. Um, You know, but there's an interesting chart out by uh, Morgan Stanley showing PMIs. These are the purchasing managers indexes. And, you know, we're very late now in that kind of that mid-cycle transition. So we came out of the recovery. We've gone through this transitional period. And so now we're at kind of that peak of that mid-cycle transition. And so things are going to start to weaken now on the other side. Now, again, this is just uh, the important thing about this is this is what investors are paying attention to kind of not directly they think about it they you know the the general meme of the investing cycle in the market is hey this this market's just you know it's crazy and the economy's booming and that's true it was and remember these things all kind of look at things in reverse but there's some other there's some other indicators that are also have been really kind of that premise, kind of that premise of this entire rally, and one of those is talking about monetary interventions, right? So, when we start to think about these monetary interventions, then we're going to start to to look at specifically these money flows of. of individuals and, and kind of what's happening in the markets, et cetera, because these money flows are where we're going to start to see the the biggest impetus, so to speak, in terms of the supply of money being put into the markets. And, and this is one of the big issues, right? That one of the primary 
drivers, the the memes behind the entire rally is has been the market, you know, the, the Fed's just throwing money into the markets. It's got to go up. And that's true. Money supply has exploded. Now, the problem is twofold with money supply. The first problem with money supply is, is that the money being supplied to the markets is non-productive. Since it's non-productive, it does not lead to an increase in bank lending capacity. It does not lead to an increase in economic growth. And it really doesn't create long-term lasting inflation because you're not getting monetary velocity. In order to have sustainable inflation, you've got to have monetary velocity. Money's got to be working in the system. The problem with the money being put into the system is that it's dying as soon as it hits the system. It comes in as a stimulus check. They spend it. It's done. It's over. It doesn't create a long-term cycle of growth because you're not investing it. You're not creating something with that money that creates a return longer term. Banks are simply recycling the money on their balance sheet. It's not leaving to go to loans. Why am I going to loan you money? <laughs> right? I mean, there's, there's no need for it. So bank loans have been dropping very sharply here as late. And, and there's a very high correlation between bank lending and monetary velocity. So again, this money's just kind of dying. So the other problem, though, is that we're now getting to the end of that monetary supply growth. So we did $5 trillion worth of spending last year. That was what created this big surge in the M2 money supply. But now there's no more coming. The Biden administration is trying to figure out how to get this, uh, you know, $1.2 trillion stimulus, uh, this, um, sorry, infrastructure spending bill done, running in some headwinds there. They're, they're going back to the negotiation table today. They may eventually get something done, but it could be substantially even less than what they wanted. They're getting hung up with, you know, the, the problem of a very slim margin. And now even some moderate Democrats are starting to kind of push back against some of the more socialistic agenda. So the rate of money growth being supplied by the government is starting to decline. And that decline in the rate of money supply is also going to be a problem for that liquidity surge into the markets. The Treasury's draining their cash balances extremely quickly. Remember, tre Treasury had a huge surplus of cash because we funded you know, the CARES Act and then the HEROES Bill and all this other stuff. We funded all that stuff into the Treasury. We issued debt for it. And then that was used to fund PPP programs and all the other stuff. And the Fed was taking some of that, leveraging it 10 to 1, and that was creating the QE that the Fed was doing and all these other programs. You remember the junk bond buying program and everything else. Well, those cash balances at the Treasury are now dropping rather sharply. They're getting back to more normal levels. And there hasn't been a need because there hasn't been any more bills passed to issue more debt. So remember, the Treasury issues debt to cover a shortfall in spending. We have, you know, we have what we bring in in revenues, and then we have what we expend. And expenses are now starting to go back to just normal levels, so there's not been a need to issue a bunch more debt, which is also problematic for the Fed, which needs to buy debt. 
and they're buying 120 billion a month. So there's a few things that are kind of curtailing up here that are starting to kind of undermine that theme of liquidity in the markets. And that's been one of the main drivers of the bullish argument. Doesn't matter what you pay for stocks because the Fed's got this, right? It's all about the Fed put. Now the Fed's potentially talking about, hey, we may need to taper some of this QE program, right? They've created a problem in the housing market because they've been buying $40 billion a month of mortgages. They're starting to become aware of that. They've made more than one mention about the valuations in markets. Now, right now, that doesn't mean they're going to do any of this tomorrow, but they're starting that conversation. They're starting to drop those little, those little hints here and there. Chairman Powell is going to be the guy up there saying, hey, inflation's transient. We're not going to change any time, anything soon. You know, we're, we're staying the course. He's going to say that. That's going to be his mantra. All the other Fed members are going to drop these little trial balloons out there like, like Bullard saying, hey, we need to start tapering. We need to start removing some of the punch bowl. That's them prepping the markets eventually for a taper. Just a function of time. Because we've seen this repeatedly. Now, the market falls apart in advance of that, then they won't taper. But, you know, this is, this is how they begin to prep the markets for it. But the thing to watch here is continue to watch the supply of money because the supply of money ultimately is what has been fueling the markets. And the one thing that we've kind of said here lately more than once is the problem that we have economically is that all of this growth in the economy has been the pull forward of consumption by all these stimulus programs. We gave all these people money to spend. And they did their job. They went out and spent it. But now they're back to just working their jobs and having their normal incomes. Prices are higher. Their wages on an inflation-adjusted basis haven't been keeping up. So the problem now becomes without more stimulus, all this spending is going to start to slow down in reverse. And we've pulled forward about three to five years worth of retail sales. Retail sales are 15% above trend. And there's a very steady trend in retail sales historically. Because think about it. I mean, you kind of spend the same amount every month. So it just kind of grows at the same rate over time because of population growth and because of inflation. We're now 15% above that very correlated long-term trend. That is going to revert back to the trend because people simply don't have... 15% more money to spend every single month going forward to keep the trend at the current levels. So all this is going to peel back here and that's going to impact earnings and valuations have not accommodated for that just yet. So those are the things you want to watch for over the next few months as we go further into the year. All right, quick break. Come back. We're going to answer your questions that we've been stacking up on YouTube this morning. So you can always ask questions on our YouTube channel. Simply go there, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the YouTube link. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could 
could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. It's 647 as uh, we get ready to wrap the show. Let's get to your YouTube questions this morning because, well, that's what you really want to know, right? Um, got a question this morning. Since the Fed is removing banking reserve requirements effective March 2020, why do they provide billions to prop up the overnight lending system? Uh, this is because banks are still fighting over liquidity. Um, you know, this is kind of the entire environment that we've generated now over the last really um, you know, two years, three years now, um, we've continued to kind of go through these little repo crises um, over liquidity needs. And this is something that we continue to deal with. And, and you're right. Um, they removed bank reserve requirements back in March of 2020 to allow them to put more money instead of having to hold a reserve. You know, they can now put all that money towards supposedly lending money into the economy to help it recover. That's not happening. So the adjustment of reserves and the removal of reserves isn't helping the problem. It's actually exacerbating the problem because now banks have even less on their balance sheet to shore themselves up. And look, this is one of the big misnomers. I hear this all the time. It's like banks are very well healed, right? They they have lots of, you know, they're lots of value in banks. No, they don't. They are stacked up to the gills with bad loans that they don't have to mark to market anymore. Back in 20, 2008, we repealed FASB Rule 157, which said they had to mark to mark loans. And now you've got, if I've got a house that I haven't collected rent on in you know, 10, 15, 20 months and is in default, I can keep that house marked at market value. I don't have to write it down because it's in default. So this makes banks look a whole lot better. And then having to hold less reserves mean they have more money to put out into other assets, other things, other things that they're doing, which make them look a lot healthier than they actually are. And how do you know that they're not healthy? Because as soon as you get a downturn, they got to be bailed out. March 2020, right? We were told in January and February that the banking system was healthier than it had been since the financial crisis. And in March, we're having to bail them out. So they're not that healthy. And primarily, when you're talking about the five largest banks on the planet that now control roughly 75% of your banking activity, they're not healthy. So that's one of the problems. So yeah, we have to keep propping them up because if we don't, you're gonna have a Lehman on your hands. That's really what this comes down to. So good question though. Um, next question is, is here are the things that, you know, we want to, to kind of talk to, you know, one of the things that are not so obvious for market participants, and this really isn't a question, but it's a, it's a good thing, you know, where and how to kind of hedge portfolios, right? So one of the questions is here is gold a possible risk off hedge. Gold is oversold here on a short-term basis. 
and is very close to having a buy signal. So if we do get a correction, gold is likely going to be kind of that risk off rotation because it is oversold. But the thing that drives gold, the thing that you have to watch for is real rates. So there's a very high correlation between gold prices and real interest rates. And what, is, what are real rates? Real rent, so if you want to know what the real rate is, you take the 10-year treasury rate and subtract inflation. So if 10-year treasury rate is 1 and inflation is 1, your real rate is 0. So there's a very high correlation between real rates and gold. So really, that's the only thing you need to know about. But yeah, I think that gold could be a risk-off rotation here because, again, on a money flow basis, it's been very negative here. Um, that money flow sell signal is very oversold and is very close to turning up. Hasn't yet, but it's very close. So yeah, I think it could be a potentially kind of a good hedge. Um, you know, this is, you know, one of the other questions I see here was, uh, if we do see a 5% correction or more, which sectors are going to be the best buying opportunities? Well, if we get into a 5% correction, there's going to be no sector that'll be a good buying opportunity during the correction. And the reason is, is pretty much every sector is now massively correlated with each other. They kind of all go up together. They kind of all go down together. And if you take a, a look kind of across the board, they, they tend to run everything. Everything tends to correlate together. If we come out of the correction, so going into the correction, have some extra cash, that's your best non-correlated investment, has no risk. The problem with trying to short the market is just like we're having now. And this is the reason we didn't short this market when we got our sell signal. The sell signals work and they tend to tell you where the markets are going to head. So either you're going to get a correction or you're going to get a consolidation. And we're kind of in this consolidation mode right now for the markets. It's unlikely we're going to set massive new highs here until we get through the sell signal, right? It's just likely we're going to have a little pickup in volatility. The problem with once you get into a 5% correction mode is that it's going to kind of pull everything with it at one time. And that's if we get one. And if we're going to get one, it's going to happen and it'll show up pretty quickly. And that's why really the best thing to do right now is just to hold some extra cash until we kind of get through this cycle. Could the markets turn up and validate the signal and go right back to new highs? Absolutely. Could certainly happen. We've had signals turn mid-cycle before. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And if it does happen, then you'll simply just put some cash back to work in the markets and, and go from there. But the best correction or, or the best opportunity here is that we do get a 3 to 4 to 5% correction, and then we're able to put some money to work here at a little bit lower levels. And, and those sectors that are likely to come back out of this is going to really be dependent upon the view of the reflation, economic trade, those type of things. So if we're going to get the reflation trade, if, that's going to, if that theme is going to continue, it'll be small cap, mid cap, um, energy, financials, and uh, you know, real estate. If we don't get the if, if the reflation trade starts to fade because we begin to see slower year over year rates of growth and inflation and those type of things and and then it's going to be more of the growth trade as individuals start looking for companies that can grow earnings basically in any type of environment so it'll be tech healthcare 
um, discretionary staples. So again, we've kind of got to work through the cycle and then kind of start to see where these things kind of start to stack up where and where markets are going to start chasing money again. And again, it's you know one of those things that we can make some assumptions about and try to start teeing up some trades early. But the problem with trying to do things early is that sometimes things don't work out as well. It's often better just to let the markets tell you what it wants to do and then just react accordingly. So again, you know, right now the general theme is that inflation is here and the market has been chasing this whole reflationary trade. The question, and this is one thing that we kind of look at in terms of uh, our uh, technically speaking report today is we kind of looked at the commitment of traders report where options traders are kind of lining up their, their trading. Very long energy. You know, that is an area that's potentially a risk. Yeah, we're at $70 a barrel. I'm already starting to see people come out with targets of $100 a barrel in oil. And, and this is, we're going back to that cycle. And maybe the case could very well be the case. I'm not, not saying that it's not potentially. But if you take a look at backwardation in the oil markets right now, it's at an all-time high. Whenever backwardation has been at an all-time high as it is now, that has typically been the peak of oil prices. If you don't know what backwardation is, don't worry about it. Just follow me for a minute. But we're at a kind of peaks of exuberance in a lot of these energy companies. And the expectation for growth in earnings and growth in prices is really dependent upon an exceptionally strong economic recovery, which we are likely not going to get. Again, going back to the whole pull forward of consumption, we've done that. The risk is slower economic growth in the future, not higher economic growth. That's the risk. So, you know, again, I know that's not a clear answer for you because you're saying, okay, what should I buy now, right? The thing to buy now is cash. And I don't mean 100% of your portfolio in cash, just a little bit of extra cash. Things that have worked well, take a little bit of profit in. Things that haven't worked well, those are things that you might want to consider reowning, right? And saying, look, you know, this isn't been, I made an investment here. It's not working well. I have an opportunity to cost. I got an email yesterday asking the same question about, you know, that we often talk about our rules for kind of just portfolio management, which is, you know, trim your winners and sell your laggers and losers. And he's like, well, how do you know what's a laggard and a loser? Well, it's, it's not hard to tell if you bought it and it's down in price and you haven't sold it, you have two problems. One, you're losing capital. Two, you've, you didn't have a stop loss in place to protect your downside. So whenever you buy a position of anything, you should always know where you're going to sell it when you make money. You know, also know immediately where you're going to sell it when you're losing money. So a loser is something that you're losing money in. It's not working. Your thesis didn't work out as well. Let it go for now. Doesn't mean you can't buy it back in the future. Doesn't mean it's not a good company. It just means you bought it wrong. So sell it, limit your losses, limit the drag on your portfolio until it straightens itself out and becomes the, the company and the price and the time that you want to own it, then buy it back, right? Winners, trim them off every now and then. Got to harvest a little bit of that so that when they do decline in price, and they will eventually, you don't give up all your gains. 
All right, wraps up the show for today. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday, um, and we'll get uh, more into markets, money, what's going on. Uh, get you updated on what Jerome Powell says today as well, and, and his congressional testimony. That's all tomorrow. Also, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, for our latest blog posts, newsletter, and more. Realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.